0: Spend our time in Je- Jeremiah 31 this morning. I'm not going to read the whole text of Scripture. I'll make some references to it uh, and just read some particular sections as I tie it together. Before I get into it, let me uh, lead us in a prayer and we'll ask for the Lord's help in this time. <coughs> our Father in heaven, uh, with your word uh, before us, we know we need it. Uh, we know that it is living and active. We know that it works on us in ways that are oftentimes imperceptible. Uh, but Father, we need it because it is our daily bread. Because man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. So so God, we're asking uh, in this time that you would feed us. Open our eyes, open our hearts, strengthen our faith, uh, give us resolve um, to walk away from things that are ugly and and disobedient and to walk increasingly towards you and to keep our eyes on jesus so uh, we're doing that father we need your help uh, by your spirit to make that happen in our lives and i pray that you would uh, speak to both proclaimer and hearer uh, cause your word to stick so that it might accomplish your will and we say this in the name of jesus amen Thinking about stories, a story of Christmas, Uh, there's lots of ways that that gets depicted in in, uh, entertainment. Uh, You may be familiar with this kind of uh, theme, the setting might be a big city like New York or some vineyard in Sonoma, California or a farm in the Midwest and something needs to be resolved by December 24th, time's running out. Uh, Before the beginning of the story of course, someone close to this person had died, Um, that's affected this individual deeply. Uh, Oftentimes, this is a woman. Uh, She's running a small or struggling business, and she happens to be with the wrong guy. There's some evil corporation out there threatening her livelihood, and that corporation is represented by some guy, her nemesis, who happens himself to be with the wrong girl. Um, He wins the girl over in order to carry out his diabolical plan, but somewhere along the way, he has a change of heart. Now, at the very end, she finds out that he... Wasn't who he said he was, but, but he's already had a change of heart and he tries to win her over. And it turns out, well, he's actually the right guy. And her business is saved and everyone lives happily ever after. Now, the formula has proven to be uh, just a gold mine for Hallmark. And, and i got to admit, <laughs> okay, this is, i got to admit I kind of like these stories. <laughs> I like to predict how each of the elements is woven into some other setting. We watched one last night. I said, I said, Kath, that's the love interest. There he is. He's right there. You know, I, I like to call that out. <laughs> but if we think about the real Christmas story, it, it's nothing like a Hallmark movie. That Christ was born is certainly good news, but very little about the story is easy. And what God intended to accomplish, he predicted through his prophets, and, and some of that would involve some very deep pain and the story meets people in the context of very deep pain now we're looking at Jeremiah 31 and as I mentioned I'm not going to read the whole the whole passage but the heading over it says the Lord will turn mourning to joy now the prophet Jeremiah had been set apart by the Lord and began to prophesy if you're interested in the history of this he began to prophesy during the reign of King Josiah He continued to prophesy through the sieges on Jerusalem and ultimately into the captivity of Judah. But what Jeremiah prophesies in this part of the scripture speaks certainly of a time near and a fulfillment and a relief for the the nation of Judah, but it also speaks of a time way after the immediate context. And that ultimately would be accomplished through a deliverer, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one whom we celebrate at this time of year. So as we're looking at Jeremiah 31, I want to point you uh, to verses 1 through 14. And this section really deals with God gathering his people. That's the first thing that we see here, that God gathers his people. Uh, We love it here, my family and I. uh, We moved here some 19 plus years ago, but I remember that first Christmas Eve, it was kind of lonely for us. We, we came to church, and after we went out, Kathy and our three kids, we went out to eat at the Golden Dragon, and it was just like, wow, this is not what we used to do. You know, we always used to have family around, and uh, so the day after Christmas, we, we packed up everything and put in the van and went back to Canada for a week, and, and we got that taste of family again. I think in that first year, we probably drove back five times, I think, just to, to be with family. Now, some of you are, are here and you're from out of town. And you are from out of town or you have people from out of town because you or someone moved away, maybe because of the military or a job. Now None of us really have to be taught this. We simply long to have our, our families gather. It's Christmas, Thanksgiving, summer vacations, we all know what happens. Life and circumstances move people away, it's, scatters us, and there's this longing that, that remains with us to gather. Now, this is our home. Now, this area of the world. Some of my kids and grandkids are Louisville, will be San R, San Antonio, will be St. Louis, because they're attached to other families and. But most of the time, they're right here. And and I don't take for granted the massive blessing that that is. But you get it, right? Sometimes it doesn't feel quite complete when the people you love are scattered. And for God's people who were scattered, to God whose people were scattered, it wasn't quite complete. After King Solomon... So, King David, the, the, the one to whom the promise of a Messiah was made, but after him, his son, King Solomon, after King Solomon's reign, the, the nation of Israel was divided in two. Israel in the north, and if you know your Bible history, Judah in the south. It was the wickedness, ultimately, of Israel's kings in the north that led to their demise in 721 BC, Israel, the northern kingdom, it fell to the Assyrians, and the people were just deported, spread to, to foreign lands. Judah, the southern kingdom, continued for another of 135 years, but after the reign of Josiah, the nation of Judah had become really a vassal state of Babylon. Seventeen years into that, to that arrangement where they had to continually pay tribute. King Zedekiah, who was the king at the time, he had had enough, and he rebelled. He thought, we need to get free. Well, his effort failed. In 586 B.C., Jerusalem fell to the Chaldeans. The temple was razed to the ground. The walls around the city were were leveled, and the king's house, and, and in fact, every great house in the city of Jerusalem was burned, and the Chaldeans carried off most of Judah's citizens. They'd already deported some, but they carried most of the rest of the citizens off to Babylon. They left only the the poorest of the the land to plow the fields and then tend the vines. Now, why'd that happen? It happened because a succession of of Israel and then Judah's kings, they spurned God's good gifts. They despised his word and they, they turned to dead idols. It was the very thing that God warned them about through Moses. Back in Leviticus, You shall therefore, the Lord says to the Israelites, you shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them that the land where I'm bringing you to live may not vomit you out. When the Israelites brought into the land the idols and their immorality, the land that the Lord had set apart, it was like a sickening virus that caused the land to vomit them out. Their sin became repulsive to the Lord and to the land that he had given them. So you might ask, how does Jeremiah 31 connect to the incarnation of the Son of God? Here's here's how I see this. I take it that the physical captivity of Judah in Babylon along with the promised deliverance and the ultimate ingathering back to the land, I take it that that was a prefiguring type of the captivity of all people, the captivity of all people to their own sin, but at the same time, the hope of deliverance from the bondage to that sin in the promised Messiah. Look at verse one of Jeremiah 31 at that time declares the lord i will be the god of all the clans of israel and they shall be my people verse 4 i will build you you shall be built verse 5 you shall plant vineyards verse 8 i will bring them from the north country from the farthest parts of the earth verse 9 i will lead them back Verse 11, the Lord has ransomed Jacob. Verse 12, their life shall be like a watered garden and they shall languish no more. Verse 14, my people shall be satisfied with my goodness. Now I want to take you back. Look at verse one. I want you to note something here. That the promise is not just for Judah. I will be the God of all the clans of Israel. This was not fulfilled when the 70 years of captivity in Babylon were complete. After Jesus was raised from the grave, when the Holy Spirit empowered his apostles, they eventually came to understand that the people of God, that was not just the physical descendants of Abraham. True Israel, as the Apostle Paul stated, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. That's Romans 9, 6. And even Peter, addressing, addressing believers in Jesus, uses this language. Peter addressed his first letter to elect exiles of the dispersion. See, they came to understand, the apostles, what Jesus meant when he said this. Ah, He said, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock one Shepherd, and if you're in Christ this morning, you're part of the people of God, the people of God that God has gathered. Now, God is a book; He is a book with the names of everyone He intends to redeem. And if you're in Christ this morning, it's because your name had been written in that book. And this one flock that that belonged to Jesus, who is the single Shepherd. It consists of an innumerable multitude, people, as it says in Revelation 7:9, people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. And while we wait, as, as the people who have been gathered, as we while we wait for this glorious assembly around the throne of God, what the Lord is doing is he's gathering his own into churches, little assemblies of kingdom citizens who who come together to point one another to Christ and to help each other to hold fast to our confession without wavering, stirring up one another, agitating each other to, to love and good works, Hebrews 10, 25. So brothers and sisters in Christ, we are here today as evidence that the Lord's gathering work is happening. I'm always a little perplexed by the attitude that some who profess to know Christ, of course that's not any of you, right? But people who don't think it's important to gather with the church, they don't want to be with God's people now. And if that's the case, why would they want to be with God's people when Christ returns? Now imperfect as it is, every time we gather like this, every time we we put our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and remind one another what he has accomplished, it's just a little foretaste of glory. It's a foretaste of that day when Christ returns and physically gathers us to himself. God gathers his people. It's part of the good news. Second, we see that God has compassion on his people. And we can look at verses 15 through 30. God has compassion on his people. There's a kind of love that a mother and father has for a child. And if you're a parent, you know it's unlike any other. It's true, your children will give to you some of the greatest moments of joy, but also possibly <laughs> some of the greatest griefs. And as a parent, you'll, you'll rejoice over the smallest of things. And when they suffer, You feel it in a way that you wouldn't feel it for someone else. And I know some of you know the profound grief of losing a child. Deep, deep emotional scar that never really fully heals. It's that compassion a parent has for a child. And even if your child grows and chooses a path that is unwise and self-destructive, you're never emotionally distant. You, you long for them. You, you pray for them. Your compassion for them is, is never quenched. That's a parent, any parent. How much more does the Lord have compassion on his people? How much more? Infinitely more. Now, when Jerusalem was overrun by the Babylonians, Undoubtedly many, many perished as a result. Chapter thirty-one fifteen records this lament. You look in your own Bibles there. A voice is heard in Rama, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Rachel representing the, the mother of, of the, the Israelites all those who have lost loved ones. Sorry about that. Technology lets us down sometimes. Back to Rachel. That weeping for her children, her lost loved ones who died in the captivity, who died in the siege. But that lament that we see here is not only for the Israelite children that were lost to Babylon. Here's the connection, ultimately, to the birth of Christ. Perhaps you recognize this passage of Scripture. Sometime after the birth of Jesus, Herod heard about the one who was to be born king of the Jews. See that in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. He heard it from Magi. They had traveled a great distance to honor the newborn king. Herod, to eliminate the potential rival, he ordered that all the male babies under the age of two be killed. Now, Matthew Chapter 2, verse 18, describes this horrific event, but describes it as a fulfillment of Jeremiah 31, 15. Again, a ruler over God's people had spurned God's good gifts, and the people suffered. But you know, the passage tells us that God is not deaf to the plight of his people. Verse 16, thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. Verse 18, I've heard Ephraim, another name for Israel, I've heard Ephraim grieving. 20, is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. The suffering of Judah was ordained by the Lord as discipline. The Lord's anger was absolutely justified, but it was not final. The Lord yearns for his people. Psalm 35 says, 30 verse 5 says, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. If you know your Bibles, or if you don't, I'll tell you, suffering is a consequence of sin. Your suffering is a consequence of sin in general. Some of your suffering may be a consequence of your own specific sins. But we suffer as a consequence of others' sins as well, like the babies at the time of Herod. Because of sin, Jesus' birth exposed not only the sin of Herod, but others as well. And just thinking about Mary and Joseph in and, and the birth of, of Jesus, it wasn't easy for them. The rumor persisted that Jesus was conceived immorally. Well, who wants to believe that a virgin would co- be conceived by the Holy Spirit? But God's compassion for his own was ultimately proved in his very willingness to send his beloved son into the world. So we have to consider, and we sang about this, We have to consider the immensity of that compassion. The very sin that separated people from God would be used by God and then directed at his own son. Again, the height of blasphemy and rebellion, the greatest, I would suggest, the greatest sin ever committed since the beginning of creation, attributing evil to the very son of God and then torturing him and then executing him in the most demeaning way, that became the means of vicariously atoning for the sin of all who would trust him. It's a compassion that is unfathomable. Unfathomable. Out of compassion for God's people, he turned the greatest sin, sin ever committed into the means of the greatest act of mercy. That is the Lord turning mourning to joy. And that's the the good news story of the incarnation of the Son of God. And if you know it this morning, if that's gripped your heart when we sang, I cling to Christ, marveling at all that he's accomplished, let me encourage you this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, cling to him. Remind yourself of what was accomplished, not just the baby in the manger. Follow the trajectory of that story all the way to the cross, where out of God's immense, infinite compassion for you, he offered up his own son to be crucified in your place. Well, third, I want to look at how God transforms his people. I don't want to open an old wound but the the whole covid thing revealed something about human nature. And 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 the whole mask thing everybody it's a personal thing. So I, if if that's a value to you, I'm I'm not trying to get in the way of that. But but there's some things we know now that we didn't know before. And I think somehow intuitively a lot of people sort of got it. Even the ones imposing the rules, right? How many times did we see some of those who who were in authority, who had mandated certain behaviors, flaunting their very freedom from the behaviors when they didn't think the cameras were on them. And what it reveals about human nature is that that if you don't think a law is important, ultimately you're not going to keep it. If you don't think a law is helpful, It won't make any difference to you if it's on the books. See, unless your heart is in it, unless you truly believe a rule is good, it will have little lasting effect on your behavior. And that is true of God's law. Whether we're talking about stealing, murder, whether we're talking about speed limits or building codes, laws, they won't matter. Unless they matter in your heart. Now, a little history here. From the time that man rebelled, God had a plan to restore what man broke. This is the story of the Bible. God promised that an an offspring of Eve would would defeat the serpent that tempted her to sin. God promised Abraham a land and, and many sons. God promised Abraham an offspring of his own through whom all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. Through Moses, God promised, that is to say, he made a covenant where he constituted the tribes of, of, of those who were descended from Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And he told the people, he said, I am your God, you are my people. Here's what matters to me. He declared himself their God. He said, you're my people. Then he followed on with the law. Ten commandments. Here's what's important to me. Here's how my people behave. So God fulfilled his promise. He gave his people a place and he promised to dwell with them, and he gave them his law so that they would know how to live. God never ever failed, but but if you read through the Bible, you know the story of this people that God set apart unto himself, they didn't live up to their side. Again and again they forgot the Lord. Again and again they turned to dead idols and the consequences of their sin brought suffering. See, the problem for them was the law was something outside of them. They didn't see it as a good thing. They saw it as a restriction on their freedoms. So here's where the the incarnation of the Son of God changes absolutely everything. Jeremiah 31, 31, I'll read this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah and they shall be my people. Because Christ was born, because Christ lived without sin, because Christ died in her place, we are living in those days. The days that Jeremiah said, or the Lord said through Jeremiah that are coming, those days are what we're living in now. Jesus fulfilled Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one in his death. In anticipating his cross, Jesus said this to his disciples. If you remember the upper room, he said, the cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. That cup representing his own blood, it would be poured out. And what that did, that's superseded it it replaced it it completed really what was anticipated in the old covenant when the israelites would have to constantly bring those animal sacrifices for sin and because christ secured permanent forgiveness we now have a permanent helper an ever-present power through the holy spirit jesus said this in john 15 he said if you love me you will keep my commandments And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Faith in Christ is love. Faith in Christ is love for him. And that love will ultimately show in our obedience to God's commands. But we gotta know this. We don't muster that love for Jesus by our own will. We don't muster it by our own effort. We don't just set our minds to say, I gotta love Jesus. All of that credit goes to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who now indwells everyone who truly believes in the Son of God. Paul says in Romans 5, 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Because of Christ, if you've looked to the cross in faith, understanding that there the Son of God bore your sin, if that's you, this is what the Bible says about you. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And so, because you're now a new creation in Christ, the Holy Spirit moves you, motivates you, empowers you to, to seek to put away the evil that remains in you and bear fruit fruit of, of obedience, the outworking of God's love. And it happens because you are in an in an eternally dependent relationship with the Son of God. This is why Jesus said to his disciples this glorious passage that for me was uh, remarkably helpful in my Christian life. Jesus said this in John 15, 4 and 5, "'Abide in me, and I in you. "'As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself "'unless it abides in the vine, "'neither can you unless you abide in me. "'I am the vine, you are the branches.'" Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. That fruit is obedience. For apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Now that might sound like bad news to some people. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. But in Christ, everything that God calls you to do Is possible. And that's why we're here this morning. We're we're pointing each other to Jesus. We're reminding one another what he accomplished at the cross. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing, but in Christ, you can do all things. That's a transformed heart. Your motivation to obey is not something you muster on your own. Your motivation to delight and to sing and to look at the Bible, that's not something you muster on your own. Yeah, there are times that we wander and we we forget and we, we maybe develop some bad habits, but something in us, and that's the Holy Spirit says, come back, come back, cling to Jesus. The transformed heart makes God's law delightful. Jeremiah said, the Lord said through Jeremiah, a new covenant, I'll write my law on their hearts, so that when we see God's word, we say that that's glorious. And if it convicts us, we say that's good. And when it does convict us, we confess. And we have the promise of Scripture that if you confess your sins that God is faithful and just and He is just because Christ has already been crucified and He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness as He forgives those sins. Jeremiah 31, fulfilled in Christ. In fact, all of the prophets, predictions were fulfilled in Christ. And Christ, our King, has come. God's great compassion, he has called us to himself, he has gathered us together for that day when Christ returns when we'll be gathered around his throne. And all of this happens because the transforming work that Christ accomplished through his death and resurrection and the sending of his Spirit So, we are people. Whatever's happening in the world, we are people who have joy. We have joy because our Lord has come. And as we're gathered here this morning, I trust that it's on your heart for all who are far from the Lord. Perhaps you feel the words of the hymn that we sang when we started this morning. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart receive including our own, prepare hymn room. May that be the longing of your heart this Christmas season, but not just this season, all the time and forever. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for your son. What a glorious gift. We've sung about him this morning, but Father, we know that we need the constant focus on him, to cling to him, Marvel at what he has accomplished at his cross. And with confidence, God, we know that we cannot be lost. We're forever in your family, because you have gathered us. So God, keep us faithful, and we'll trust that you will. And keep us faithful to the day of the Lord's the Lord Jesus appearing when He'll gather us around your throne. All of these things, Father, we pray for the glory of and in the name of Jesus. Amen.